6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 101 through 106. Rabbi Hirsch is famous for his remark. He said, the Jews' catechism is his calendar. You need to understand the appointed times. The feasts of Israel. You've got three spring feasts. You have three fall feasts. And you have one strange one in the first, the first, in the first month, the, the three fall in the seventh month, and you have the strange one in between the Feast of Weeks, the seven feasts of Israel. Every one of them has a historical purpose. Every one of them has a prophetic target. And understanding those is really required reading on the part of every Christian. But let's us move on back to Psalm 104. So much for the seasons. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun riseth, and they gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein which is detailed for you in Job 41, for those of you that haven't explored that. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth and trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Okay, let's go to... Now, we have two psalms finishing this segment that are historical psalms. Psalm 105, 106. Psalm 105 is a hymn to God in history from Abraham to Moses. And I suspect it was written by David because the first part of this psalm is the same as 1 Chronicles 16 which tells about the time that David brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. We're going to have this psalm on the one hand, focus on the works of God and yet contrast it with the failure of the people. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth, 
O ye seed of Abraham, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac. And confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law. And to Israel for an everlasting covenant. He made the covenant with Abraham, but he confirmed it with an oath to Isaac in Genesis 26 and so forth. Saying, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when they were but a few in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it. It's interesting that that commitment, that covenant to Abraham, is what's being challenged by the world to this very day. When they went from one nation to another and one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong, yea, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. <laughs> Verse 15 I used in a corporate debate. There was a, a partnership between three people many years ago, Jack Hanslick and Bob Hawkins and Hal Lindsey at a company called uh, Vision House. And uh, the two partners, the two principal partners, Jack Hanslick and Bob Hawkins, were not getting along. Hal asked me to step in as a uh, mediator. And it was clear they were not going to get along, so we ended up dividing it into two parts. We cut the baby in half. Huh? And uh, Jack Hanslick took Vision House, and we split up half the company, and it became Harvest House under Bob Hawkins Sr., Bob Hawkins Jr. now runs Harvest House. And, uh, but I remember in that dispute, I got them both to acknowledge, because here's Hal, who's sort of the, the you know, partner with both of them, and says, I got them both to acknowledge, is, is Hal anointed of God or not? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Then I put this psalm. I said, okay, touch not mine anointed. And do, my prophet, no harm. And that got them all very agreeable. He says, okay, guys, we'll just cut the baby in half. You each take half and see what happens. Vision House later got acquired by Gospelite or some other publishing company, and Harvest House grew to be one of the primary publishers in the Christian field, now run by Bob Hawkins' son, Bob Hawkins, Jr. But uh, I remember playing, you know, corporate mediator, using 105.15 as my springboard, Anyway, moving on. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He brake the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. There's something that you don't find in the scriptures. I didn't know he had fetters on his ankles. He was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. I wish he'd teach some of our senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, 
So here you got just an encapsulation of the late part of Genesis into the early part of Exodus. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. Boy, that's an understatement. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish, and their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. He spake, and there came divers sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines and also their fig trees, and he brake the trees of their coasts. He spake, and the locusts came, and the caterpillars, and that without number. He did eat up all the herbs in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought forth also with silver and gold. He brought them forth. Remember, they, they came out wealthy. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. <laughs> they sure were. They were glad to get Israel out of their hair after all those plagues. Israel, Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. And uh, the psalmist recites Israel's history as something indeed to praise, sing praise about. He spread a cloud for their covering and a fire to give them light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven, the manna, right? He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. They found that rock, by the way. And the erosion there is astonishing. Out in the middle of the desert, by Jabal Allah's, the real Mount Sinai. Fascinating discoveries. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. And he gave them the lands of the heathen. And they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. This is going to be followed by another historic psalm and a rather long one that closes the, this number section. And it followed, the next one follows the wanderings of the children in the wilderness and focuses on their failures. So we're in Psalm 106, the last of this section. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may seek that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. The astonishing part of the record as you go through is how again and again these incredible events take place and yet still the people don't get it. They don't get it. Even when you just see the movie version of the Ten Commandments, I've had uh, secular people who see the movie are struck, dumbfounded by the attitude of the people. They're hardly out of Egypt and they're bemoaning about the diet and whatever, you know. Well, you sent us out here to die in the wilderness. I mean, they, they, they don't get it. This is amazing. 
Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power to be made known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So that he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. I think that's interesting. I have all kinds of so-called scholars that say, well, they, there was a big wind and it was only just a few feet deep. That's how they could cross the thing, which is opening the door to even a bigger miracle, that the whole army of Egypt drowned in three, drowned in three feet of water. That's pretty impressive. No, it doesn't make any sense. By the way, there is a pharaoh. They don't know, they don't know much about him, but there is a pharaoh that, uh, that you, if you go to the Cairo Museum and get the, uh, get the uh, handbook, the index for it, you can look him up. It turns out there is a pharaoh they found. They don't know much about him, but they, they do, what they do know about him is that he, he drowned in salt water. He died by drowning in salt water. But they're not quite sure. See, the, the whole Egyptology thing is pretty much a shambles, pretty confused. There's a, uh, anyway, I won't get down. Anyway, there's more to research to be done there. That's a very, very interesting area because most of what people think they know is not correct. And there are some people unraveling that uh, with some great discoveries coming. Anyway, the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They believed, they, then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works and waited not for his counsel. That was great at first. How soon they forget. Is that true of us? We're in a meeting like this. We nod in agreement and leave call charged up. And then what happens tomorrow? The next day. Here they, they forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them a request, but sent leanness into the soul. You know, one of the judgments of God is to give us what we ask for. You know, they, they, they weren't happy with the manna, they wanted quail, he gave them quail. So they, had it, they had it to hear in, 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 in quail. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord... Remember Dathan and Abiram, right? The earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. God has a way of making his point, doesn't he? Huh? They were challenging the authority of Aaron and, and Moses, and God explained it to them a little more clearly. And a fire was kindled in their company, and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. You know, that's, that, that's hard for us to understand. This incredible, dramatic uh, exodus from Egypt. And their first chance they get, they're going back to offend God by worshipping a piece of an idol. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible or awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot all that. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach, and to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. One of the most impressive prayers by Moses. He pledged his own, his own salvation on their behalf. Take me. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. 
They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. And uh, the word overthrow really means to make them fail, in other words. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions, and the plague break in upon them. And then stood up Phineas. As Levi took a spear and pierced through the Moabite, the guy and the Moabite woman, so, and, and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. And if these things don't sound familiar to you, I encourage you to go through the book of Numbers or commentary on the book of Numbers, which gets into all of this. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so they went ill with Moses for their sakes. Because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. They were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. The Moses thing, of course, you may recall the second time at the rock. Speak to the rock. No, he hit the rock. And God said, okay, buddy, you're out of, you're out of the game now. Here's a guy who spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Baxada, 40 years, 120 years of service. Does not get to enter the promised land because he misled the people. He let them think that God was mad at them. He wasn't mad at them. Maybe a little more to it than that, but that's basically it. And, uh, but he's not out of the ball game because he shows up in Matthew 17 along with Elijah at the transfiguration. And uh, we strongly suspect that he has a role in Revelation 11 also. But it goes on to the book of Judges. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but they were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Dark stuff. We're now in the book of Judges, if you will. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and they went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen, that they hated them, that they that hated them ruled over them. Six different nations over a period of a hundred years oppressed them. They mess up, the heathen oppress them, they plead for a deliverer, the Lord raises a deliverer, they get freed for a while, they go right back into it. Six times in the book of Judges, it's a book of failure of that generation. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into the subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Again and again and again. The whole book of Judges, simply, simply a concatenation of failure, deliverance, failure again, and deliverance. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord God. Gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. This final doxa, verse 48, 
is considered not part of Psalm 106, really, probably added by an ancient editor to close the fourth book of Psalms. And praise ye the Lord, the word is hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. And uh, so this, we've gone through then, in these, these last two sessions, we've gone through book four of five books of Psalms. So the next time we get together, we'll undertake the fifth book of Psalms, starting with Psalm 107, and we'll go through some spectacular Psalms. The, la the books are not equal length. The, um, there, there's going to be, what, uh, 43 some odd Psalms in the next book, which will include some really, really remarkable Psalms, not the least of which is Psalm 119, which itself is 176 verses. We'll spend one evening, I think we can get it done in just one evening, going through Psalm 119. But we've got some real treats ahead of us. But I have to share with you, uh, just reconfirm to you, my frustration. It's a very difficult book to teach. It's fun to take a book, and by doing a little bit of homework, and going through libraries, and, and pulling together commentaries, a few dozen of them, whatever, and uh, digging into that, you can usually come up with useful material and exposit it, and, and, and you can approach the, the task with a feeling that you've got your arms around it. You may not have all the details, but you've got, you got a, you know, a handle on it. Uh, the book of Psalms defies that. There's no way to really uh, approach even closure on the, on the book of Psalms. They are just a different kind of thing. They're a devotional kind of thing. This is heart material, not mind material. Yes, the mind is there and there's much to, 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 to grasp, but the real issue is in the gut. We say the heart, the Hebrew would say the bowels, but, you know, from the gut gets the, gets the thing. It's, it's deep stuff. And, and as I point out to you, if some of these seem monotonous, some of these seem dry, some of these seem repetitious, uh, that probably is an indication that you just haven't been there where these reach you. you there are some psalms that you can't really appreciate unless you've been in, extre in extremis. And uh, as I often say, the, the, those people like that can speak of the Psalms only as the blind speak of color, by inference, not by experience. But I do encourage each of you to, make, to undertake an immersion in the Psalms. You can do it many different ways. One of the easiest ways is just to take one a day, start and end the day with it. And it's useful to keep a log, just your reactions to it. Another, if you're a student type, another thing that you can do that I encourage you to do is create your own index of the Psalms. Not the commentary indexes, you know, which are messianic. No, no, no. Personal index. Make a list of important things to you. You know, uplifting ones down, you know, whatever, different categories. And make your own index of them. But immerse yourself in the Psalms. Because it's interesting, I've spared you a lot of the historical comment. There are some great books written about this. I think Luckier's book is probably one of the best where he recounts throughout. He takes each psalm and recounts through history the people to whom that psalm was precious. And uh, each one has an incredible history. Now, that, that history doesn't mean a lot unless you're, unless you're a student of that history. But the point is, it's, it's interesting to recognize that the psalms tend to be the favorite part of the Bible 
to those that really know their Bible, to those that really live their Bible. The Psalms tend to be the, uh, the, to include their most precious, precious assets. But uh, so next session, Psalms 107, 150. So you can meditate on, you know, the first 11, huh? 12, first dozen. We'll see how far we get next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Father, we joy as we begin to understand more and more of your attributes. And indeed, Father, we join in praise for who you are and gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are. And we recognize, Father, that every good thing we have comes by your hand, that you love us that much. We do pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would draw us ever more deeply into the Psalms, that we might more fully understand how close you really are to us and how much you really care about every detail in our lives. And Father, we do acknowledge before you that our most important stewardship is that of our own heart, that that heart would be focused on you, that we indeed would keep the greatest commandment, that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. Oh, Father, we do indeed worship you. Help us, Father, to worship you with our lives and our priorities as we commit ourselves into your hands without any reservation whatsoever. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music